Test, test, test. One, two, three. Felt good? Test. One, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, thank you.
Well, good morning, Foothills Church. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Would you please stand with us as we start the service out by singing at your name? Lord of all the earth, we shout your name, shout your name, filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise. Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, oh Lord. At your name, the mountain shake. Oh, Lord. 
right. Awesome. Um, well, before you're seated, take a minute to greet the people around you. Say good morning. Oh, good morning, everybody. It is great to be with you worshiping the Lord this morning. Thank you for getting us started off right, worship team. As always, it's so good, man, to worship the Lord when they're leading. Uh, I just want to let you know, for those of you who are new with us, my name is Craig Cooper, and I'm one of the pastors here. And for those of you who are watching, wherever you may be, um, just so glad that you're uh, joining with us and want to encourage you to just... Let us know that you're with us in spirit as well as just with your focus and attention on worshiping the Lord with us this morning. So go ahead and say hey there or whatever you want to do to acknowledge that, that you've joined with us this morning. Uh, by way of announcements, you know, there's just a few. Just again, want to let you know that um, it, there's a number of people who would love to uh, find out more information about being a, a member here at Foothills Church. We've got a lot of people who've been longtime attenders and, and things like that, and some are just uh, barely been coming, joining with us for the last uh, month or so. And we want to let you know that we're having, uh, we have classes that just as first step. And then we have another class that's called Next Step, just to help people understand who we are and what we believe, as well as um, what you can expect from the leadership here at this church, and also what the church as a body expects from members. So it's a great opportunity to find out more uh, about Foothills Church. I want to encourage you to sign up for that if you have not uh, become a member in the past. So those classes are starting in just a couple weeks on March 13th and on the 20th, and they're going to be before service at 8.15 in the morning. Also, we, uh, for um, April 3rd, we're going to be having a baptism service. And we know of uh, one individual so far, and if there's anybody out here who has been a Christian, doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for a majority of your life or just in the last uh, uh, month or week or even day, guess what? We really want to encourage you that this is a great step of obedience in following up and saying, hey, you know what? Lord, I love you, and I don't know why I haven't taken this next step. This has nothing to do with salvation. This is only and all has to do with following with what the Lord's directed in his word. And as people become believers, that next step is, hey, I want to be baptized. And it's a great way for them to be able to declare to our church body that, yep, I'm with you. I love the Lord and I've allowed him to come into my life. And he is directing me in all ways, in all steps. And so it's just an identification uh, of being able to say, yeah, I, I want to follow through with what Jesus did as well. So if you're interested in being baptized, please uh, let me know after the service, or you can just email me or follow up in the Foothills Weekly, and you can uh, sign up for that as well. And um, uh, okay, guys, um, because we're guys, uh, two months from now, two months from now, there's a men's retreat, okay? 
So that means, really, I'm not even talking to you guys, I'm talking to your wives, and they're gonna be like, oh, when is it? So mark your calendars, at the end of April, 29th and 30th, it's gonna be right here at O'Neill Park, it's gonna be a great time, and so just really wanna encourage you to get that on your calendars now. Uh, some guys will be camping out down in O'Neill Park, and some guys are gonna say, you know what, I'm gonna be with you Friday night, and I'm gonna be with you early Saturday morning, but I'm gonna go back home and sleep in my own bed. So you could choose either way, but we really want to encourage you to get signed up, and uh, it's going to be a really great time. And um, we, we're, we're excited with the three guys from our own church who are going to be sharing. And guess what? It's neither Roger nor myself. So you guys are going to have a, a real special treat with that as well. So please uh, take the opportunity to do that. Um, next up, again. Connect card for those of you here in this room. If you're watching us wherever you may be, it's called our contact card on our app. And it's your tool to fill out and let us know um, how we can answer questions, how we can better serve you. And maybe it's praying for you. Maybe it's praising the Lord with you because uh, it's so great to receive uh, cards that say, I just want to give a praise on how the Lord has answered a prayer. It can be a long time prayer, it can be a prayer that just they asked for from the week before, but that's your tool to be able to let us know how we can better serve you. So I wanna encourage you to take the opportunity to do that. And if you're new with us um, and you fill this out and you take it to our welcome table when you leave this morning, uh, we've got a little gift for you and it's just our way of saying thanks for being our guests and we hope that from your experience this morning and from what you heard uh, that you're going to want to come back and join us because we think we got a pretty good thing going on here. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and ask if you wouldn't mind standing with me as uh, we look to the Lord in prayer and um, remain standing as we continue worshiping him in song. And uh, again, I'm just going to start uh, our prayer off and, and ask you to be joining with me as we pray uh, for the country of Ukraine. Okay, there's a lot, of, a lot of incredible ministry going on there. And there are a lot of believers there. And so um, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, want to lift up to you, just like so many other brothers and sisters right now, the, the country of Ukraine. And Lord, we know that there is evil in the world. We see it. An awful lot, and also there's, there's even more that we don't see. And yet, Lord, um, we would pray for protection over the people there. And we would pray that, uh, Lord, your mighty hand would just halt what's going on. Lord, May you uh, use whatever way or means or person or people that you see fit to help put an end to this senseless war. Lord, we pray for those who are, who are in country, who are trying to reach the lost. And pray that, uh, Lord, again, you would use them to bring you the most glory. Lord, we pray for the surrounding countries that will be taking in the thousands of refugees that are fleeing. And we pray that you would be able to use them in a powerful way, that the churches and the Christian organizations and ministries would be able to just do their best with the resources they have. 
And Lord, we uh, come to you this morning with grateful hearts for the fact that, Lord, for those of us who know you, that you have blessed us with a relationship with you through your son, Jesus. And that we have the power of the Holy Spirit residing within us to help us endure or overcome the different obstacles we face, though it might be to such a far lesser degree than those uh, in other places. Lord, we still recognize that we need you in our life each and every day. And as we worship you here this morning with this team of musicians and vocalists and tech team, Lord, as they, as they worship you and lead us in that, may we follow their lead. May we give you our best. And as Roger opens up your word and shares again from the life of Samson and how we can learn from that, Father, may you um, speak intently and deeply into each one of us so that we can grow closer to you. And we just love you and thank you for just the ability to be here this morning. So we give you all praise and thanksgiving. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, Amen. Suffered and cruel 
the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in life eternal. I believe in the virgin birth.
for um, the chance we have to sing and to um, just to express our love to you in a, in a cool way like that. God, I pray for Roger as he preaches this morning um, that you would be with him. Pray for us to see Jesus and desire him uh, from his word. I, I pray that we would see this as life, God. Um, there's so much in life that seems important to us, but I pray that we'd see sitting under your word, hearing from you as, as life, um, life-giving. I pray um, for any contentions in, in people's life right now or any chaos like in their soul or in their mind that you would quiet it um, and uh, give perspective to them from your spirit, Lord. Um, I pray that you wound us by your word, God, and heal us so that um, we might love you more. And um, I pray that this church is a place where people are met by grace. 
Uh, we need you this morning, Lord, and we ask for you to meet us here. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Open your Bibles up to Judges chapter 16. We're going to hear more about from the life of Samson. Lessons from the life of Samson, such good things for us. Um, I've uh, been hearing from a lot of people about what's going on in Ukraine. I try to avoid the news as much as I can. But, uh, you know, I just think about, um, you know, what's happening and how for some people, they take every bit of political turbulence, every rise and fall of the stock market, and they try to find a verse that it comes from. And um, we got to be careful not to do that. On the other hand, we need to be really careful not to ignore uh, the things that God is doing in the world. And, you know, Jesus talks about how there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, but the end is not yet. And the, what God has done is he has created political turmoil and these challenges and difficulties to constantly get our attention. To think about God is working in the world. God is in control. And there's these like little, these little rumbling things that happen. And you never know. Is this just one of the thousand rumblings, the millions of rumblings that have been going on since the time Jesus was here? Or is this it? Is this the end? And God's designed life and he's told us about life to get our attention. So we can't make too much of politics but we can't make too little of it either. And God's given us scripture. And as we read how God works in life, it gives us a perspective to be able to understand. I was thinking about the president of Ukraine. And I'm just so impressed by him. And uh, the United States just says, hey, uh, come on over. Your country's going to get run over and totally destroyed. But you come to the United States and we'll take care of you and your family. And uh, he just says, um, no. He throws on a uniform and goes down and fights with his men. And he tells Putin, um, if when you guys come to roll over Ukraine, you're not going to see us running. You'll be looking at our face, not our back. Um, that's real leadership. And the amazing thing about that man is that he's not even a Christian. He's a, he's a Jew who's secular. Like, he doesn't even have a relationship with God. That's real manhood. And, and I just think about leadership and what's missing in our country and how in our country we're trying to breed that kind of leadership out of people. We call it toxic masculinity. Instead of thinking about what God says about men, 1 Corinthians 16, 13 just says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, Act like men. Be strong. Let everything you do be done in love. And we have a country that has turned its back on God, that blurs the line between what a man, what a man and what a woman is. And, and, and for us to just say, no, we're going to be people. We are going to read the Bible. We are going to think about its warnings and what it says. And the life of Samson is one of many stories that gets our attention, defines life for what it is, and gives us a context to be able to understand 
the things that we see and the life that we live. The Bible is not about someone else, somewhere else. Everything in the Bible is about you and me, things we're supposed to know and learn. So uh, I just, um, one thing that we could think about as we evaluate all that's going on and the evil that we see in our country, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever looked around the world? Have you ever looked around at life? And have you ever craved worldly things? Have you ever got up in the morning and just thought to yourself, I want a bigger house, I want a nicer car, I want some friends, I want this. Like, like do, have you ever lived your life craving worldly things? Um, one of the things that I like about this political turmoil is that it reminds us that all these worldly things that we think we love could disappear in a moment. Uh, they are for people in Ukraine. Whatever worldly things they have, it's all about to get blown up and destroyed and so sometimes people look around and they crave worldly things. Uh, some people think that by pursuing a life of sin, I'm trading happiness now for suffering in the future. But if you read your Bible, what you realize is that when you pursue sin, you trade happiness now, you trade purpose now, you, you grab a hold of the passing pleasures of sin. And in this life, you bring sorrow, suffering, loss. And you also trade eternity, an eternity of loss. See, there's people that they look at Samson's life. They didn't read the story of Samson. They didn't realize that as he pursued his earthly pre, uh, pl pleasure, he sacrificed everything good that God had planned for him. And yet we look at around at a lot of people running after sin, trading every good thing that God has planned for them for something that will leave them empty and sad. Hey, don't we see that? Don't we look around and see it? Well, Jesus told us in 1 Corinthians 10, 6, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. See, that's one of, I think one of Satan's things that he wants is to say, don't read the Old Testament. You don't need it. But I just want you to know, you don't read the whole Bible from beginning to end. You will not know how to think about life. In fact, when Paul's talking to Timothy, he says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and... How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. That is the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, what happens is often in Sunday school, we take stories like the story of Samson, and we just talk about, oh, look how strong he was and how he had hair and, and how he was able to do these amazing things. And we're going to read about some amazing things today. But we strip out of it the message that God has. Or we take little kids in Sunday school and go, oh, isn't it cute how God brought two of every kind of animal onto the ark and we put this on the thing and everything's happy. And, and we don't teach people, actually, we don't teach our little kids the story, what, what, is, what was the flood? It was the whole world saying, 
um, God, we hate you. We don't care what you think. And God drowned the world. That's the story of the flood. And we sanitize it for our children. Uh, we tell people, oh, the Tower of Babel, that was people trying to reach into heaven without Jesus. That is not what the story of the Tower of Babel was about. It was people, God saying, spread out. And it was people saying, no, we're going to build a tower to remind us not to spread out. And what we do is we go through Scripture and we ignore. We ignore it. We don't read it. We don't teach people about it. Or we sanitize it. We don't want to scare our kids with these stories. You know what? When we lay a foundation of what God is doing and saying and teaching from the time kids are young until they're older, we actually allow God in their heart to teach them about everything they see in life. See, when, we're, when we teach people this story, when you embrace this and internalize it, um, what you're going to realize is this becomes an eternal protection for you as long as you're living. Because when you go through life and you sin, and good things still happen in your life. You go, yeah, I know I'm per pursuing a life of sin, but I know misery awaits me. And that's one of the things I thought about as I was raising my kids, as I was teaching kids in youth group. You may not love God. You may not want to obey God now, but I'm going to put these stories into your life and into your heart so that as you live your life of rebellion, you will see your life for what it really is. So let's jump into First uh, Samuel chapter 16 and let's learn some lessons that God intends us to learn from Samson's life. Let's start with the first one. Um, I would say overall, <laughs> you could just say this, the whole of chapter 16, sin leads to destruction. I guess the theme of this whole thing Sin leads to destruction. When you read the Bible and you think about life correctly, you realize every time I disregard God, every time I disobey God, every time I grab the world and say, no, you tell me what's best for me or what I need, different than what God says, but I'm going to follow some psychiatrist, some psychologist, or whatever the popular philosophy is. No. Sin leads to destruction. Uh, let's check this out. Um, First, or Judges chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, it just says this, Therefore the name of it was called, and Kai, this is verse, uh, verse um, 19 of chapter 5, verse 20 says, And Samson judged Israel in the days of the Philistines for 20 years. And that just, it's, this chapter is going to start with that, and it's going to end with that same phrase, and we're going to look at it and just go, what a wasted life. Samson had. What incredible opportunity, how he vacated his position. Look at verse 1 of chapter 16. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. And the Gazites were told, Samson's come here, and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city, and they kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of the morning and then we will kill him. So we see this Samson, this, this person that's been built with God's incredible strength and the Holy Spirit has been working through him in spite of his sinfulness and he runs off and marries this unbeliever 
that God has said don't marry and just ignores what God says and does what he wants instead, uh, refuses to listen to his parents when they say, Samson, don't do this. And he just blows them off and doesn't listen. See, God's sending people to encourage him, to warn him, to guide him to truth. And he just ignores it. And what we find out is that sin always takes us on a downward spiral. Because he goes from marrying an unbeliever, that's bad. And now he's just running off and visiting prostitutes. This is God's holy man. The Nazarite that God has chosen to represent him. And he's off visiting prostitutes. And uh, one of the things that we're going to see is the Philistines. It's like, excellent. What is Samson doing? He is bringing himself into the power of the Philistines, into their area. They're plotting. And uh, we're going to see how God amazingly blesses him. But before we do that, what, what did Samson ignore when he went to visit the prostitutes? And when we think about sexual immorality and sexual impurity in our life, which, which our, our culture is dominated by, what did God tell us in Proverbs? I'll just read it to you. You can turn there if you want. But it says, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. He's just saying you need to gear yourself toward God's wisdom. That you may keep discretion, that your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. We're going to see this lived out in chapter 16. But in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood. That's poison. Sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Uh, she's walking a path of destruction, and she thinks everything's fine. Now, when it comes to sexual immorality, this is phrased about men, and what, you know, the, the woman is the prostitute, and the man is following her off to destruction. It could be the other way. This, is, this principle applies whether you're a man or woman. There are, there are women that are sinfully seductive and there are men who are sinfully seductive. This is not about gender. This is a truth about sexual purity. It goes on, verse 7, and it says, And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near to the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go into the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan. When your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline. You know, I bet Samson, when he's walking around that uh, that wheat grinding thing, just grinding wheat blind. We'll see about that coming up. I bet he had plenty of time to think about all of God's wisdom that he just ignored. And when you say to yourself, how I hated discipline, how my heart despised repute, reproof, I did not listen to the voice of my teachers 
or incline my ear to my instructors. Instructors. I mean, God tells us all of these things. And, and if we're reading scripture to our kids, and if we're reading the stories of Samson, and I'll tell you what's going to happen, they are going to start learning from life. If you fill your life with God's word, you will learn for life. Because did you know it is not just Samson that this is true of? You can just look around. You know people. And this is the story of their life. And so what happens is you get kids and you get people whose lives have been steeped in God's word and they run off in a sinful path. God's gracious. God is holding on to them. But they look around at all their friends and when they see this destruction befalling everybody around them, what happens is every person on their path becomes a living illustration of what God has said. But we're a group of people who grow up biblically ignorant. We don't fill our lives with God's word. When we're teaching Sunday school and we're training our kids in our, house, in our houses, they're growing up, we are not filling their lives with this knowledge. Well, that's what Timothy's parents did for him. They filled his life with this. And Paul says, um, you've known the sacred writings which are able to make you wise unto salvation. Instead, we look around at all these people growing up in Christian homes, not walking with God, and we're confused about why. That's part of why. Uh, let's finish this story. Samson's off visiting a prostitute, God's holy man, this Nazarite, visiting a Philistine prostitute. Look at verse 3. They're, they're planning to kill God's man in the morning. But Samson lay until midnight, and at midnight he arose, and he took hold of the doors of the gates of the city and the two posts, and he pulled them up with the bar and all, and he put them on his shoulders, and he carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. <laughs> now, I just got to tell you, um, there is way more than meets the eye in that statement. That he grabs the gates, rits them up, and carries them to the top of a hill. See, they've done some research and they figured out, they've gone and studied some of these Philistine cities, and they figured out how big were the gates, what were the gates like. And, and I just want you to think about, uh, you know, Princess Bride, when they had the castle and they had that big, that big gate that they lifted up, that this was their protection for the Philistines these gates were their protection. It's what allowed them to withstand the enemy. This isn't some gate on the side of your backyard. In fact, when they've looked at this, archaeologically, here's a picture of Samson carrying some gates. And I just want you to know those gates do not represent the gates of the Philistines. When you look at the, the Philistine gates, they weighed somewhere between 5,000 and 20,000 pounds. Um, these were huge gates, somewhere between one and a half and three feet thick of wood with metal over them. And when you just make the size of those things and you calculate out the weight, it is somewhere between five and 20,000 pounds. Like it's hard to think about this, but this is a 2022 Ram 3500. The curb weight is somewhere between six and 7,500 pounds. So Samson did the equivalent 
of grabbing one of these trucks, two of these trucks, putting them on his shoulders and carrying up them up the hill in front of Hebron. Now, just so you'll know about the hill in front of Hebron, first of all, it's 36 miles away. And the hill, the elevation difference was 3,300 feet. And so you look at this, it is unbelievable what Samson did. He is an Old Testament, real life superhero. Like the stuff you watch the Hulk do is what Samson did. Now when the Philistines see this, and this is something to consider, when the Philistines see this, they recognize Samson is no human. They recognize God is doing this. See, this is a warning for the Philistines. This is something they were supposed to take to heart. And so not only in this story do we see Samson ignoring God, the Philistines are ignoring God. This is... um, how they end up responding to all of this. Um, You know, they, when they look at this, they don't bow in reverence. They don't honor God. You know, I think about, like we all need to think about this. God will be glorified and he will be honored. You are going to glorify God in your life. If you're a person who hates God and you say, I don't care what you say, I will do what I want. Every unbeliever you know that shakes their fist in God's face will glorify God. And they're going to glorify God. Philippians chapter 2 tells us about that. They're going to glorify God as they endure his eternal wrath for all of eternity. There are believers like Samson who live a sinful life. They're totally driven by their own desires. Samson will glorify God. Not positively, But God's going to still use him, and he still will glorify God. You can glorify God and be a walking lesson of misery. This is what happens when a person disobeys God. That can be the story of your life. Or you can have a different story, like like Pharaoh. You know, God says, I raised Pharaoh up. In fact, in Exodus, New Testament tells us that God raised up Pharaoh. In Exodus, God says, by now I could have killed you. But I actually raised you up, and I'm allowing you to continue your rebellion against me because I'm going to destroy you, I'm going to destroy Egypt, and everybody on earth is going to talk about how great I am. You remember Nebuchadnezzar? God raises up this wicked king to go in and punish Israel. And when he sees the amazing things that God does through Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, he says, oh my goodness, These are servants of the Most High God. And then Nebuchadnezzar, this wicked king, says, anybody who worships anybody other than the God in heaven, let his house be torn down and destroyed. See, Nebuchadnezzar looks at God's amazing power, responds rightly. The Philistines, they look at God's amazing power displayed through Samson, and they don't respond rightly. Uh, you ever see people who shake their fist in God's face and it seems like they're getting away with it? So we need to put that in the context of Scripture. Let, let's read on and let's find out what ends up happening. This is the biggest section in chapter 16. <laughs> and the lesson from this is just sin makes people stupid. Um, have you ever seen that? 
Have you ever seen sinful people do really stupid things? That's actually part of God's judgment. Sometimes when God wants to judge somebody, he actually gives them what they want. In fact, let's just look at that in Proverbs, and then we'll see how it works its way out in the book of uh, Judges, chapter 16. Proverbs 29 says that when you read Proverbs 1, it just says there's two voices in the street. There's the voice uh, crying out the way of God. It's God's wisdom crying in the streets, and it's there. You can hear it in Scripture. You can hear it through preachers. You can hear it through your Christian friends. Man, God's voice it just echoes in the streets, but there's also a sinful voice echoing in the streets. Foolishness is also shouting out, and you can get that on TV. You can get that from all kinds of false teachers. There are both voices, and we need to make sure we're listening to the right voice. And it says this at the end of Proverbs 129, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, Because they would have none of my counsel, they despised all of my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. You want to see that lived out? Well, let's read Judges chapter 16, starting verse 4. And after this, so he goes to one prostitute, this all happens, and he, he looks at God's rescuing of him, God's grace, God's allowing him to get out of that terrible situation and be victorious, and he feels like that means his sin doesn't matter, because Samson didn't read scripture. He didn't realize God's gracious and patient, and sometimes we do terrible things, and life still works out okay, but that's just the temporary blessing of God. See, judgment is coming. So after this, he loves another, goes to another prostitute in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him. And here's where you know that they know that this strength, this amazing strength Samson has comes from God. See where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. See, they know that there's something supernatural going on here. And they don't take that to heart. Verse 6 says, so Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. (laughs) Okay, here's where it starts. And so Samson says to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I will become weak like any other man. And then the lords of the Philistines bring her these seven fresh fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, and she binds them, and there's all these Philistines lying in ambush to destroy him. And she says to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he snaps them like their flax when it touches fire. And so he just, just so she says, he, she says to him, how can I destroy your strength? And he tells her, and she does it. And then he just jumps up and breaks it. And then she says, you've lied to me. This isn't right. She whines, you didn't tell me the truth. Come on, tell me. 
And uh, so then he says, okay, Delilah, if you buy me with seven ropes, then I'll be weak like any man. What do you think she does? She binds him with seven ropes and says, the Philistines are on you. And then he jumps up and snaps the ropes. And she says, you've lied to me. This isn't right. I can't believe you would treat me that way. Can you believe this? And so she says, come on, tell me. <laughs> what does he do? He tells her. <laughs> and so he gives her, like, he tells her something else. He says, take my hair and weave it, and I'll be weak. So what does she do? She weaves his hair. <laughs> like, can you read this story and just go, dude, you are so stupid. Um, I just want to take a step back and ask you a question. You ever seen people do incredibly stupid things? You ever see somebody who has great wife, great family, have an affair with his boss's wife, gets divorced, his family hates him, his boss fires him? You just look at that and you go, dude, why'd you do that? You ever see somebody who goes to a business and they embezzle money? You just think to yourself, there is no way you weren't going to get caught. Why'd you do that? I mean, when you look at people, they are so stupid. Because sin makes people stupid. And just so you know, when you compromise... When you start letting sin into your life, you're going to get stupid because sin always makes people stupid. So let's just check out the end of this story. Uh, verse 16. Verse 16. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. This woman, how dare you lie to me while she's planning to kill him? And he told her, look at verse 17, all his heart. And he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. See, if the Philistines ever wondered about Samson's strength, they knew it was supernatural. But he pours out his whole heart to her and says, God said that from the moment I was born, I was supposed to be dedicated to her, his service. And so he pours out her whole, his whole heart. He explains that his power comes from God, that he is uniquely reserved for God. They, without a doubt, know where the power comes from. You know, it's kind of like Jonah, right? Jonah's running away from God. He goes on to a boat, and the sailors are casting lots. They find out that it's because of him. And he just says, yeah, I'm running away from God. I've been sinning against God. And, and so uh, if you want to live throw me overboard. And they, they try so hard. They're like, God, we don't want to kill your prophet. They row super hard and they finally like, God, we're all going to die. We're going to throw him overboard. But God, don't hold that against us. So they throw Jonah overboard and all of a sudden the sea becomes calm. And what do they do? Well, they sacrifice sacrifices they make vows that whole the, all those sailors get saved because they see God's power the Philistines when they watch all of this do they bow their knee to the God of the universe that holds their life in his hands 
Do they humbly submit to him the way Nebuchadnezzar did? Uh, well, well, I don't know. I guess we'll have to read on to see if that's what happens. But he says to Delilah, how stupid. What has she done every time he tells her something? She does it. And then he says to her, if my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come again, for he has told me all his heart. And then the lords of the Philistines came up on her, gave her the money into her hands, and she made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the locks of his head. And then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But it says here, he did not know that the Lord had left him. See, that's what happens is, you know, the Bible talks about people who have seared their conscience like with a branding iron. Have you ever burned your your finger on something? And then you like lose the sensation in your finger and you can't feel. See, there's people who just live this life of sinfulness. They disregard God. They just live in sin. And eventually like that internal fear, that sense that God knows, that sense that God's discipline is coming, that guilt in a person's life just starts to leave because it's like they've seared their conscience. And what God's trying to communicate in their heart, they've silenced God's voice in their heart. They've silenced and refused to listen to all the people that God has sent them to talk to them. They just ignore those voices. And in fact, in Amos, God talks about his judgment on the nation of Israel. And he says, I'm sending a famine on the land. Not a famine for food, not a famine for water, but a famine for my word. People are going to stagger to and fro looking for my word. It's going to be gone. See, that's what happens when we ignore God, when we silence the voice that he's put into our life. God stops speaking. You deaden your conscience and that gift that God gave you of guilt goes away. And you start to feel good and happy about your rebellion against God. That is an incredible tragedy. See, in our day, there's all kinds of people that live a life of rebellion. They disregard all the things that God says, and they feel full of grief and anxiety and stress. And so what do we do? We provide medication to take away people's feelings of guilt. We tell them, hey, guilt's bad. Let me give, give you some bills, uh, or let me give you some pills to make you feel better. There's <laughs> one guy that I knew who was a friend of mine's having an affair. And he just felt so overwhelmed, goes to the doctor, and they give him some anti-anxiety medication so he could feel better while he pursued his sinful living. See, that's how our culture, we, there's, there's all kinds of things that bring depression, that bring grief, that bring pain and sorrow, and we stick people in the room and give them some pills to make them feel better. Instead of saying, why don't you start by getting all the sin out of your life? Are you lazy, refusing to work? You're, you're refusing to do the things that God tells people they're supposed to do? Quit doing that. 
Start honoring and obeying God, and then let's evaluate your life and see where you need help. That's not how we think. You know, it's, it's understandable that the world is that way. How tragic when people who grow up in church, when churches, when pastors are that way. See, Samson didn't realize that the Spirit of God had left him dead in conscience, ignoring the, the voices God had put in his life. Well, here's a third thing that we need to see. We find this in verse 21 when we think about what happens to Samson next. And that is that eventually we reap what we sow, right? Hey, we've all read this verse um, in Galatians chapter 6. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked, okay? Uh, in a few verses, we're going to see some people doing some mocking. They're going to think God is mocked, but this is what he says. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You ever met somebody? You ever been in a culture where people say, no, you want to be happy? Rebel against God. You have this internal thing inside you that's driving you towards sin. It's driving you to throw off what God has said uh, the, the, your only satisfaction, the only blessing you could ever have in your life is pursue that. Uh, how, how about divorces? How many people disregard God and get married and then they're miserable and they go to a church that says, hey, God doesn't want you miserable, just get divorced. It's like you, you created problems by sinning against God. Let's solve those problems by sinning against God. You know, that's never the solution. Disobedience is never the best thing. And we could make a whole list. That's not picking about undivorced people. Uh, but the bottom line is like when we look at, when we look at that, <laughs> one time I mentioned divorce and somebody was like, oh, all the divorced people are going to be offended. And I said, no, I've actually never met a divorced person who says, I highly recommend divorce. It was one of the best experiences in my life. I mean, marriage is good, but if you really want to live, get divorced. Um, I, I would think to myself, everybody who's been divorced would say, yeah. Everything God says about divorce is good. That's not positive. That isn't what we should pursue. That was a terrible experience in my life. And so, but often people do that. They disregard God on their way into marriage and on the way out. You know, John tells us this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan's lies always bring destruction. Hey, Jesus came that we might have abundant life. Let's jump in here and see how this works out for Samson. And the Philistines seized him, and they gouged out his eyes. How'd you like that? How'd you like a bunch of people to grab a hold of you and to take some spike and stab it into your eyes? Like, think about how sensitive your eyes are. How incredibly painful that would be. Not only to lose your sight, to go through that experience. What an incredible disaster. And then they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in prison. So they take this hero of God, they gouge out his eyes, they strap him to this uh, mill, and he just spends years walking in a circle blind, grinding wheat. That's Samson. Hey, Samson, pursue sexual pleasure. Go, go pursue an, an unbelieving spouse 
And then when that doesn't work out, go out and enjoy yourself with prostitutes. Hey, God's good. Every time anybody tries to hurt you, it goes well. Just keep going. Samson had a lot of time to think about that as he was grinding wheat. Um, So we do reap what we sow. And what's sad is that that isn't just in this life. That is in eternity. Um, People will spend forever living with the consequences of their choices. Um, Hey, spiritual things are pretty urgent, aren't they? I, I think about that as a church. Man, what should be the point of our discipleship? What are we pursuing? Are we trying to make the room as big as we can and tell people all the things that they want to hear? Do we care what the offerings are? Ultimately, we have one purpose, and that's people's discipleship, that they will learn to honor and love and worship God and pursue God. That's why God put us here. He didn't put us here to be liked. He didn't put you in your friend's life so that you could look at them and smile as they walk off a cliff. God intends you to be a living example of holiness and righteousness. God intends you to live your life in a way that you say, whatever God says I'll do, whenever I fall short, I'm going to ask for God's forgiveness. The failures I see in my life are just going to inspire personal humility. And when I go to other people, I'm not going to look down on them. I'm not going to be judgmental toward them. I'm not going to be hard on them but I am going to lovingly, graciously tell them what's true. I am going to pray for them. I am going to encourage them to walk with God. I'm going to know that I can make a difference. And I'm going to live my life in that way to honor the Lord and to bless the people around me. That's what God wants. Um, Here's the other thing we're going to see here. Eventually we do reap what we sow, but those who mock and defy God do it to their own destruction. You ever see super rich business owners, powerful people mocking God? You ever see political leaders thumbing their nose in the face of God? Have you looked at our country, blessed, rich, a wonderful place to live, making decisions, having political policies that mock God? If, uh, if the United States ends up being destroyed, nobody should be surprised. And nobody should be afraid either. So what does it say here? Let's read uh, chapter, ver- or chapter 16, verse 22. But the hair of his head began to grow after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand. And the ravenger of our country who has killed many of us. See, when those sailors on Jonah's ship were praying to their God and saying, save us. They didn't think by throwing Jonah overboard that their gods delivered them. They realized, no, this is happening because Jonah's disobedient. And when we threw him overboard, his God saved us, not our gods. And when Samson explained, I'm a Nazarite, and if you shave my head, I'm going to lose my strength, they could look at Samson and saying, 
you are not living in a way that honors God. And the Philistines should have said, uh, he's grinding wheat because he disobeyed his God. But instead, they hard-heartedly gave their gods credit. They suppressed the knowledge that God had put in their heart. And they exalted their God and they mocked the true God. And they were pretty happy about that. Their life was good. This powerful Philistine killer was blind and out with the farm animals. And so it was looking pretty good to them, but they didn't read Scripture enough to understand what was really happening. And so God is going to work through their pride. (laughs) Have you ever heard pride goes before destruction? So God's going to actually work through their pride to get them to do what he wants. That's what he's been doing with Samson, right? Let's check out how that works out for the Philistines. When their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson. (laughs) Okay, I was going to tell you, that that was a mistake. Uh, that was a big mistake when they, when they did that. Um, so they say, call Samson. Get to my spot here. That he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. And they made him stand between pillars. If you read the Bible, there are so many times that happens. you remember the story of Esther where, where Haman builds these gallows to hang Mordecai and he's so happy and so excited and he feels so good and the next day the king's going to hang him and his whole family on those gallows he built for for Mordecai but he didn't realize that but we all know because we read the Bible verse 26 and then Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them now the house was full of men and women and all the lords of the Philistines were there See, if you want to destroy a nation, go get all the lords, get all the people in charge. Like Samson kills 3,000 people, but he doesn't just kill 3,000 random people. He kills 3,000 of the ruling class. The Philistines as a country are destroyed by this. And it says that there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. See, what they forgot is we're mocking the God who made a Philistine killer, and they were so foolish, they brought that Philistine killer into their town where they were, and they didn't pay attention to the fact that his hair grew back. See, that was all God saying, you will destroy yourselves. And so they bring Samson. You know, can I just throw something out there? Jesus says in Matthew 24, 37, um, as in the days of Noah, so are the days going to be here. People are going to be um, celebrating, marrying, going on with life, thinking everything's fine. And all of a sudden, when they least expect it, judgment is coming. That's what happens with, in Sodom and Gomorrah. People wake up, they feel fine. And all of a sudden, when they're not expecting it, God's judgment comes. And God says, that's how today is. When people are wicked and thumbing their nose in God's face and they think it's all okay, it's not okay. Judgment's coming. And that happens for nations and it happens for individuals. See, there are individual people living their life that way and they don't realize today's their last day on this earth and that could be you. There are, so there is a macro element of this in the world, but there's a micro element too. And that's one of the reasons when we love people, we tell them this 
so that they don't misunderstand God's grace as an affirmation of their sin. And so we recognize that. Let's look at verse, let's look at verse 5. God's judgment is coming at a time nobody expects. Look at verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may avenge the Philistines for my two eyes. Can I just tell you something? The Philistines didn't learn from all the time that Samson was grinding wheat. And guess who else didn't learn? Samson. His whole life, he's pursuing himself. When he hears the Philistines exalting their God over the God of heaven, he doesn't say, God, forgive me. I repent for my sin. Show these Philistines who's really God. That is not his prayer. His prayer is, I've been grinding wheat and I'm blind. Let me avenge myself on these Philistines. Samson never learned. And when we look at what happens, and Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, and his right hand on one, his left hand on the other, and Samson says, let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed with all of his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were with it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. And here we see this mustard seed of Samson's faith. He's praying to God. That's positive, and that's a good thing. But it's this mustard seed. He is a wicked, sinful man dying in the rubble with all the Philistines. And often when we teach this story, we teach it as this exalted, wonderful thing. Look at Samson. His hair grew back. And we don't actually read what's being stated here. Samson dies a wasted, meaningless life. Not meaningless because God was power in it, powerful in it, but he squandered all the blessings that God had for him. And often people grow up disregarding God and, and we sit around and smile and we don't help them realize the urgency of living with a heart that has a desire to please God. You know, judgment is coming on the unbelieving world. It's coming. Um, and the Bible tells us how there are many false prophets. You know, these foolish Philistines, they were fools. They failed to recognize God's hand, and they were crushed. And their earthly demise was not the most significant thing because the moment they die, read Luke 16, the moment they die, they are in agony, they are in flame, they are suffering eternally. That's what happened to them. The moment they died, their fate was sealed because everybody has a chance as long as they're alive. The moment people die, time's up. For Samson, so the Philistines, they met God. That's true for every unbeliever. I think about uh, the president of Ukraine. Man, he is a brave, inspiring man. And if he's killed... He is going to stand before God and he will answer eternally for shaking his fist in God's face, for refusing to worship God. His earthly heroicism, why we can look at it and appreciate it, isn't going to matter in the long term. 
And how about Samson? See, the moment Samson died, his opportunities also erased. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, if anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Samson wasted the opportunities God gave him. How about 2 Corinthians 5.10? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Everybody is going to answer to God for the life that they lived. And we misunderstand God's grace. We don't stand in heaven because we're good enough. We don't earn our salvation. And that also doesn't mean that the way you live doesn't matter. Do we live wholehearted lives for God? It's pretty important. And I think that um, we're so much better off when we read the Bible. This story of Samson's life has been told over and over and over and over through the Old Testament. And people live lives just like Samson because they don't read it and they don't understand it. See, when we don't understand Samson's life, we're destined to live it. But when we understand God's grace, his mercy, his kindness, and his truth, man, that helps us make choices that will help us in this life and in the next Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. We are so thankful for your kindness, the way that you love us, that, Lord, our standing before you is not based on our works. It is based on the work of Jesus. Lord, we struggle with sin, and we fail, and we blow it, and that is all over Scripture. And we see your your mercy poured out into our life. And yet, God, we don't live life with a disregard for you, thinking that we won't reap what we sow. God, I pray that we would be people of personal urgency and that, Lord, we would plant seeds and fan the flames of urgency in the lives of the people that you put around us, that people would be encouraged and inspired to love you, to fall at your feet, to worship you. So, God, we just ask that your word would be powerful in our life in your name. Amen.
Spirit alive in me. 
2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Would you please stand with us if you're not standing? <laughs> um, and let's finish out our service. the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder who leaves us breathless and awe and wonder King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You would lay down your I sing for all that you've done for me. Sing about our God. Who brings our chaos? Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King above all kings. With truth and justice Shines like the sun in all of its brilliance The King of glory The King above all kings This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross
You can give on the app or at the back of the church. And if you need prayer, come on up. We would love to pray for you, whatever's going on in your life. Let me close by reading 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. This is what Peter says. I'm going to read a few verses. But this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. Both of them stirring you up by sincere reminder of the way that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are storing up for fire, being kept until the day of the judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that what the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Hey, isn't God good? Man, we're thankful for that. That's a message we want to tell everybody. Have a wonderful week.